0: they think okay well i know what i want and i know what i know so i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna hustle it out i'm gonna figure it out and i don't want to share the money or whatever the profits but most business owners you ask any coffee shop owner or ups store owner or whoever they're working 70 80 90 hours it's insane right and then they hire people as they can you can't just hire 10 people because you can't afford to right And that's that bootstrapping right
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Chris Roberts, and today we're talking about a few different things. Chris is an experienced real estate investor. He's done a lot of deals. And first off, we start about talking about reaching financial independence, which he did. And then what do you do after that? If you reach financial independence at a relatively young age, much, much younger than most people who ever reach financial independence, what do you do? I mean, think about that, right? You're listening to the show probably because you're in search of financial independence. You're in pursuit of financial independence. And Chris did that. He reached financial independence and then had that realization that, hey, I'm there. What do you do next? So we talk about how that impacted him, what he did, or maybe how that changed him or didn't change him. Don't worry, we're we're going to get into it. Then we talk about scaling a real estate portfolio and particular challenges that Chris had in doing different deals. We talk about people skills that helped him scale his portfolio, so much other fantastic information. So think about this, especially as you're thinking about seeking financial independence, right? Hey, maybe you're using the thought of what am I going to do after I reach financial independence as a motivator to help you get there. And that's great, right? And you can use, I think you can use the stories and experiences of people who have reached financial independence to help inform your plans. Maybe you'll want to do what they did and maybe you'll hear what they did and say, no, I'm not interested in that. I don't know, but it can help you Fill that picture in your mind of what am I going to do when I get there and start planning, right? Because that will help motivate you to put in the time and invest to get yourself there. So, so much great information, great conversation with Chris. You're going to learn so much. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate. If you're interested in learning more and potentially Joining in on a future deal in one of our commercial real estate investment opportunities, go to investwithtaylor.com. Once again, investwithtaylor.com. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much, and I really mean that. I really do appreciate it because that helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, I say this episode, every episode and I always mean it, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, they're trying to escape the Wall Street Casino, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Once again, our guest today is Chris Roberts. A lot of great lessons around reaching financial independence and what do you do when you get there and what did Chris do when he got there and then getting into the real estate space, challenges that he had along the way, particular uh, deals and lessons that he learned how people skills are important and important people skills that he uses in his business and so much more. Without any further ado, here we go. Chris, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Taylor. I appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience.
1: Man, it's been a great conversation. We've been re- talking for about a half an hour so far, and I know our listeners are going to learn so much from you uh, in, our, in our relatively short time today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and what you do, could you tell us a bit about your background? And then we'll dive, I guess, first into the topic of you know, reaching financial independence, especially from you know your own experience.
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you for the opportunity to share. My story is kind of dynamic in the sense that I you know I wasn't born into a, like say a real estate career uh, which is what a lot of people that are in my space today Uh, Maybe their family members, father, mother, had a real estate business. Uh, I actually started uh, working my way through the furniture business, working in warehouses at 15 years old, was on my own at a very young age, and then kind of progressed through that to eventually become a wholesaler for a very large company and developed a really good sales and marketing company from there. And that put me in a position to start investing in real estate after playing in the stock market for a bit. And I realized that if I was going to scale my business and, and grow exponentially, i.e., let's say, retire early, whatever that means for most people, or have a sense of freedom, or even just, uh, in general, escape the grind of, let's say, a commission sales career, which is daunting. It's a really difficult profession. When you do it a long period of time, it's kind of like uh, being a human resource manager can be daunting because you're dealing with, with people and a lot of their challenges over and over and over again. So I knew that it would wear on me eventually, like it would be pretty challenging to stay in that field for the rest of my life, uh, and so I had to create that. Let's say financial freedom or other vehicles, and th- and that's what led me down the multifamily real estate path. And we built Sterling Rhino Capital, and and here we are today.
1: Awesome, I love it. And you have so much experience. And and we were talking before we hit record, and you reached financial independence, and then we're thinking about you know, okay, what do I do now? And we were talking about that. And and I want to help our listeners, you know, get into that headspace of okay, many of them have not maybe reached their own you know freedom number, but okay. Once you get there, I mean, what do you do? And you did it, you know, as a, as a relatively young guy, certainly sooner than you planned on. So let's dive into that and learn about uh, your experience with that.
0: hundred percent. Thank you, Taylor, for for asking that question. Here, Here's something I want your listeners to think about a little bit is we, we have this way of seeing the world based on our experiences. And I think sometimes you look at people that maybe have wealth or money and you think, Oh, I want to be there. And, and you wonder what it's like. And it's just, you know, <laughs> visions of grandeur and <laughs> sitting on a beach and all this. And I, I think you really have to plant the seeds in your mind very, very early on what your life is going to look like in a five, 10, 15, 20 years. And that's really, really important because When you reach, let's say, a financial freedom position, and I'll just call it financial freedom because that's the catchphrase you hear everybody talk about, is you realize, okay, well, I have some money, let's say, or I don't have to work, let's say, but what does that mean for me? Well, it's not fulfilling to just go and fish every day or go and golf or whatever. Not that I do that. I've never done that for a long period of time. So you have to be thinking, what am I going to do to keep myself busy when I get to that point? And so you have to almost plan your second life, if you will. I would encourage people to start thinking, okay, I'm going to get to this first tier where I have I have saved. I have lived below my means. I have created multiple streams of income. I have literally worked two or three jobs. I did not keep up with the Joneses and I reinvested my car payments into buying real estate. And that was my story. I saved up car payments for seven years and used that money to buy my first foreclosed property. And you do all these things for five, 10, 15, 20 years, however long it takes you, and then be thinking about your second life. And that second life is. Maybe you aren't going to retire. Of course, that's what we say. But but now you're able to live the life of your dreams. You are able to give back. You're able to volunteer. You're able to help animals if you love that stuff. You're able to focus on your health. Maybe um, you want to learn more about being a vegetarian or a vegan or, or whatever it may be. And now you have the freedom to do that. And what's amazing is once you get to that, again, let's call it financial freedom place, your mind becomes far more clear. But if you are in that place where you have a lot of time on your hands, you're going to have to fill it. And so I always encourage people, and I say this as you're building your wealth, it's very important to fill your downtime with busy work. You know, Continually educate yourself. Don't just watch TV shows all the time. Don't just sit around on the sofa for two hours because you have two hours. Continually educate yourself. And again, just, just be thinking about your second life because it's one thing to get to a level of freedom or wealth But it's a whole nother thing to maximize that time once you're there. And if you're fortunate enough to get there at a young enough age, you're going to have a second life, especially with science these days. I mean, we might all be living till we're 110, 120, who knows, right? And so- You're just going to find that the journey is fraught with challenge and adversity generally because achieving anything worth having is usually, but you want to be thinking about what you're going to do once you reach that level. And what's interesting is it really has nothing to do with money. Once you make enough money to buy things that you think you want and that fulfill you, you don't because you're like, well, I don't need another car. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need a Rolex watch. That stuff doesn't fulfill me. What fulfills me is giving back and watching other people grow and learn from the challenges that I've gone through and watch them change their financial futures. And we don't we don't charge for this stuff. We just enjoy helping and watching and sharing. And so I think if you can focus on that second life, it's going to really help put things in perspective for you. I know that was kind of a long-winded answer and I'd love to dive in a little more if you have questions, but...
1: No, I love that. I think that really gets at at kind of where we, I think, societally can can get it wrong. You mentioned keeping up with the Joneses, and oftentimes, I think we're told we need to try to seek, you know, like happiness, but but nobody's happy all the time. We need to seek fulfillment and and satisfaction, and try to give you know give back to others because you know for yourself, like you mentioned, you you probably have a lot of life left ahead of you, and. How are you going to be satisfied the rest of your life if you just go sit on a beach? Well, you know, there aren't that many other people at the beach, and eventually you're just you know looking the sun and you get sunburned or whatever. There's there's other things to do, and I think that's important for folks to bear in mind, especially many of our, our our listeners. You know, I hope for for their sakes will reach their financial independence if that's what their goal is, but. What are you going to do after that? I think is a, is a big question that we often don't really ask ourselves for to a meaningful degree.
0: Absolutely. I, I think in general, it's one thing to say that. And of course, you could use that as a driver. Maybe it's what motivates you to get to that point is, oh, I, I, I want to retire. I'm, I'm tired of my job or whatever it is. But there's much more life after that. And it shouldn't just be about, I want to retire. I don't want to work. Or I want to make a million dollars. Your life has to, have to, has to have more depth than that. And, and what I mean by that is oftentimes you have to check yourself and say, am I really grateful for what I have today? You know, am I thankful? Am I getting off track? You know, are there people in my life that are taking me off track? What's the end game for me, right? Where am I going and how am I going to get there? And we talked a little bit before the show about business and, and planning and strategy and how do you scale and all that it's all just spreadsheets and teamwork. You know what I mean? It's really not rocket science. It's spreadsheets and teamwork and man or woman hours, right? It's, it's people hours. It's us grinding. It's, and then you get there. So I don't want to simplify it because it's, it is a little complicated. But again, if you just put the work in and plan correctly, you can control your destiny. Let's put it that way. Forget early retirement or financial freedom. You can control your destiny for sure.
1: I love that, and and just to kind of sum it up, it sounds like my understanding here for you is you hit that point where you could live on your passive cash flow and not have to work anymore, but you realized that and then didn't take your foot off the gas, and that's you know your choice to keep you know working through your days. Hundred percent. Nice, nice. I love it. Well, you know, I, I wanted to make sure we touch on that. We also you know, there's so much more we could uh, discuss here. I'd like to take it, make a quick pivot. To you know, challenging deals that you've done in the past and and lessons that you've learned because I think we learn uh, the most from our own mistakes, but hopefully we can learn from the mistakes, trip ups, or challenges that others have gone through. So you know, let's dive into it and, and get into some of those uh, challenging deals.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, there's so many great quotes, and I'll chop them all up because I'm never good at re- re- repeating exactly what they say. But there's a couple ones by the Navy SEALs, and they talk about embracing the suck. And then there's a couple other ones that talk about, you know, everything you want is on the other side of fear, Jack Campfield. And there's some other ones that just really talk about just diving in, right? And I think for me, with all the challenges that come up with whether it's a sales and marketing company, software company, real estate, even my first like fix and flip where I was swinging hammers and you know, I would, I would drive my trailer behind my rig and I would go out there after work and I'd work for six hours at the property, drive home. I'd sleep for like five hours, get up, go to work all day, drag my trailer behind me and go do it again for six weeks. And then I had my first, you know, flip, you know, rental, burr, whatever, and did it over and over again. And I remember my wife saying, gosh, you know, like, this is crazy. The hours you working. And I thought, yeah, but it has to get done. Who else is going to do it? I've got to do it. And my hands literally, they, they hurt so bad. I could barely like move my fingers. I remember from all the hammering and the chipping and the, but the thing is though, is you don't know what you're capable of until you face that adversity, that challenge, like climbing a mountain. I've climbed a bunch of volcanoes and deep, deep dives, scuba dive and all that crazy stuff. If you don't challenge yourself, you're never going to know. So How do you overcome these challenges with deals? Well, we face crazy challenges. I'll give you one quick example. We had an opportunity where there were no digital records on the property. We had to manually calculate all of their manual documents that were stacked up in the office. I'm talking hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of files. I have pictures. I'll share this. I'm actually writing a book about it. I'll share pictures of the office. You wouldn't even believe it. It's crazy. 35 years of records. Now, somehow by the time we were done, after uh, 450 man hours, And uh, 11 months of negotiating, we closed the deal uh, and got agency debt on that deal. And all these records were manual. How did you do it? Well, you did it by being on on the computer till midnight, darn near every night, three different people cross-referencing data points, trying to figure out why these books were missing these numbers, where did they go, bank statements, on and on. We didn't say, well, oh, we can't do it. Let's give up on the deal. And it was painful. Um, we didn't hire a bunch of CPAs and drag them through the mud and spend thousands and thousands of dollars. We wanted to understand this process in case we ever came across it again. So it's that grunt work that makes you stronger and allows you to get through those adversities, right? We have a deal uh, that we're working on. It's not a live deal. We've worked on it, but it's you know three properties, all kinds of challenges. Buying a non-for-profit with a land lease that gives us tax exemption. There's all these crazy twists and turns. Uh, but it's a, it's a smoking opportunity, right? And now you're talking tons and tons of hours of legal phone calls and back and forth and all that, but you get through it by just literally chipping away one rock at a time. I mean, you, you have to be able to put in the work. So some of these challenges are just extremely time-consuming and you want to give up. You want to give up. I mean, you look at it and go, there's got to be an easier deal. There's got to be another way. But if you don't go through those challenges that you don't know, you're never going to learn them. And then the next time you come across a good opportunity like that, you may dive right in and knock it out a lot quicker and more efficient because you went through the pain and suffering the first time versus just running for the easy stuff, right? One last thing, there's this common term in sales on a sales floor, let's say, where they say, you know, oh, you're just an order taker, right? You're not a sales professional. You're an order taker. And it's true. You get people that just, oh, there's a customer. Well, I just, oh, and if they don't want to just buy something, well, then I'm going to move on to the next person. Well, no, if you actually spend some time with somebody, you could actually earn their business. They might buy a ton more from you. That's actually earning someone's business, not just being an order taker. Same thing with deals. You want to earn that deal? You want to put in that time for your investors? Or are you just going to pass because you don't want to put in the work?
1: And really, uh, I think some folks use the phrase or the term uh, becoming a deal architect rather than a, a deal finder. You want to put those deals together. Yeah, I like yeah. That. So, how do you combine that? You know, put in the work with scale the business because at the end of the day, you know, we all only have twenty four hours in a day. But to scale, you need to you know magnify that or amplify that and 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 get more hours in there. So, is it a matter of you know hiring more people or, or building systems or, or how do you you know turn those lessons and those challenges from you know the the hard work into more results rather than just um, you know, knowing how to spend your own time a little more efficiently?
0: Yeah. You know, that's, that's a very good question. And, and, you know, for the passive wealth strategy listeners, I, I would say it's not an easy one to answer because it's relative to one specific skill sets and mindset. For example, a lot of people get into this space thinking I'm going to go and let's call it space being, let's say being a multifamily syndicate or even a business owner. I want to go open a business or I want to start a real estate business And they think they need to do it all on their own, right? They think, okay, well, I know what I want and I know what I know. So I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna hustle it out. I'm gonna figure it out. And I don't wanna share the money or whatever, the profits. But most business owners, you ask any coffee shop owner or UPS store owner or whoever, they're working 70, 80, 90 hours. It's insane, right? And then they hire people as they can. You can't just hire 10 people because you can't afford to, right? And that's that bootstrapping, right? Same thing with multifamily. How do you scale? How do you grow? Well, first of all, you have to be willing to give darn near all of your free time to your craft. If it's building out a multifamily syndication business, well, then you have to put in every free moment you have because as soon as you find that first opportunity, or let's say you're raising capital and you're doing some other things on a deal and you earn your way onto an opportunity... Well, there's going to be other players on the team that have specific skill sets. Now, you may jump on with someone and build out a team, or you may work hard and others gravitate toward you to build out your team. But I would highly encourage you to identify what I call your value proposition or your specific skill set. Could be capital raiser, could be an asset manager, could be a deal finder. Maybe you're in a hot market and that in and of itself is a value proposition because you live in a market that has a lot of deals and you know a broker. And now all of a sudden you're putting other pieces around you to grow. It's not unlike a pizza shop, right? You go in and maybe you start out being the cook and the server, but you still have to have a cleaner and all these other puzzle pieces, right? So you have to be thinking, where are my strengths? How can I allocate my strengths to maximize the time? Am I putting enough of my time in? And then do I have other folks that are willing to put the time in too? Because this is a piece that's missing oftentimes. You might find a few good people, to hire on as an employee or to bring in your team as a general partner, then you realize not everybody has the same values, right? Not everybody has the same vision. Not everybody has the same work ethic. So now you're all equals, a third, a third, a third, let's say, and you're putting in 80 hours and they're putting in 10 hours. Well, why is it split that way? And were the expectations drawn? Was there an operating agreement that outlined that so that if those folks didn't pull their weight, they were pushed out? Things like that you have to think about when you're building your business because you will need people to scale if you want to scale. You don't want to scale go it alone, take some time. That's why you'll see a lot of single family flippers doing that business. They'll hire a contractor, they'll flip a few properties. But then they realize, man, I can't scale. You know, I just, and I'm paying all these taxes when that money comes out. So that's my piece of advice. I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, flipping in particular, you know, I, I, I don't make re- investment recommendations to anyone, but I, I tend to steer people away from flipping because of the tax situation, because it's so tempting to try to swing the hammer on your own rather than, you know, hire a contractor and chop and it out and everything. But so this gets into the people skills aspect of scaling. And I was really hoping we'd be able to get to this here today because, because we're, we're talking about the people, but it's not as easy as, you know, just, just saying a couple of magic words and getting people, you know, to do what you want them to do or, or writing an operating agreement in such a way. And everybody does what they're supposed to do. Like, you can work out that way, but you'd rather have people work in, in unison and not have to default to the agreement and to the written words on the operating agreement. So I'm kind of rambling here, but let's talk about these people skills that, you know, can help you scale.
0: Yeah, Taylor, that's a great question. I love that question. The, the reason I love it is because in my opinion, uh, not, not just in my career, which, you know, I've, I've built, but in a lot of the businesses that I've been part of or seen around me, it, it starts with the people. Uh, whether it's your team or your employees or even your family or your significant other, you need a good foundation around you. You need good influences around you, right? You need good employees that want to go, 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 right? People that have the right attitude. I worked for a CEO and he was always about hire for attitude, train for skill, right? I was like, and he's right, right? I got hired by my mentor who literally changed my life. And he said to me, I can teach you everything about business, but I can't teach what comes to you naturally. And I'm not uh, trying to gloat. This was his words. These were his words, right? And I asked him, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you have a really good attitude. You have a lot of energy about you. And I've been watching you for weeks now. I've been coming out to your business. And I he goes, I need a guy like you. And I thought, that's actually a skill? That's crazy. I mean, I didn't even realize that was a skill. And then throughout the years, I started to cultivate that. So here's what I would tell you with building a real estate business or any business is one, not only do you have to understand how to bring good people into your organization. But then you have to understand how to communicate with those people and treat them like people, not unlike talking to an investor. I've been on many investor calls with, with different groups. And oftentimes, it's very staunchy. It's very, uh, what are your investment goals? And what have you done in the past? And what's your name? And blah, blah, blah. And it kind of feels like I'm talking to a computer. Whereas I th- I feel the better approach might be, you know, tell me about your life. Just if you don't mind, just help me understand who you are. Like, I don't, I don't need to know necessarily that you bought a single family. I assume you bought a single family, right? I mean, or you own a home or, I mean, I really want to know about you. And then people open up and they start sharing more information with you. And same thing with employees. Yes. You have to treat people when you're a boss, like an employee, but there's also a a human side to this thing. And when you could connect with people, they'll want to work hard for you, right? They'll want to go along with you. They will follow you. They'll want to invest with you. It's a people business. Systems, infrastructure, spreadsheets, all that stuff, that's, that's actually not that difficult. People, people are difficult. So if you can hone your skills in dealing with people and understand the other side of things, you can grow any one of your businesses in any way believe me we've we've done it and it's just being a good listener and asking the right questions some of that's opinion some of that's fact
1: <laughs> nice nice i love that and and people are are really key to any business like like they say your network is your net worth whether it's you know your investor network or the people that you're doing deals with or, or what have you i think you know it's just reinforced over and over and over again uh to me and demonstrated to me over the years how important the people people are particularly in the real estate business it's it's such a people business um, that's probably one of the biggest lessons that i've learned over the years 100% nice i love it right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor Slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Chris, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready?
0: I am ready, Taylor.
1: All right, great. First one What is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: Well, it would be sales and marketing company and actually building out that business because it taught me incredible people skills. building out a sales and marketing company to develop my people skills. Not so much education because it was a business, but definitely sales and marketing company I built.
1: Nice. Nice. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made?
0: The worst investment I ever made was actually trying to get into brick and mortar retail. And the reason for that is I realized it was not a good personality fit for me. In other words, I like that free thinking. I like being able to travel and move and and just get thrown in chaos and solve it. I had a very hard time being in one place seven days a week, 20 hours a day. And uh, it just wasn't for me. So that for me was my worst investment. Fortunately, I only lost a little bit of money, actually paid off all the vendors and turned out okay. Well, no, that was definitely my worst investment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and well, you learned something. So yeah some benefit to it. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: For me, the most important lesson is being able to utilize someone else paying me for my skill sets versus jumping out when I wanted to so many times and start that next business or business. In other words, if you focus on your skill set, identify that, whatever it is, uh, in my case was uh, sales and marketing career and people. That was just what I tended to be good at. If you can focus on that and get someone else to pay you really well for that skill set, right? Even if that means you do it twice, you have another side gig perhaps, and you make more money outside the means of your living. In other words, you're living below your means, right? Then you can use that money to invest, which can eventually propel you into the job that maybe you actually want, or maybe that business you want to get into, your passion, let's say. But don't lose sight of that. I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs that are so highly focused on starting up uh, that coffee shop, the tattoo parlor, the food shop, or whatever it may be, and they're losing sight of a foundation of having consistent income and emergency savings and a way to handle... A downturn, right? So they put all their dreams or passion, enthusiasm into this thing and it doesn't work out. And then they're crushed. When in reality, they had a, a massive skill set that, if put to work correctly, could have paid them so well that if invested properly, they could have opened up this business and probably not failed or maybe realized, you know, business isn't even for me. I'm just going to have others pay me really well for my skill sets. And then I'll be able to retire early as a result of that. I think sometimes we lose sight of that and lose sight of our value. Uh, because we're so focused on creating something because we think it's freedom and it's not always freedom. It's actually more work. I hope that makes sense.
1: (laughs) I think it does. Well, Chris, thank you for joining us today. It's been a great conversation with you for the past hour, but the audience only gets to listen to about 30 minutes of it. If folks want to uh, reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to track you down or anything like that, where can they find you?
0: Yeah, go to sterlingrhinocapital.com. You can sign up on our website. We've got all kinds of places. And if you want free education, just check us out on YouTube, Sterling Rhinos Capital on YouTube.
1: Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. Uh, That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. That helps other people learn about the show. And I'm always honest with you guys, That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe no matter what podcast app you use. And we'll catch you here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.